Well, a very special time of the year has just ended. March Madness is over. College basketball is wrapped up, and I want to express my condolences to all of you who filled out a March Madness bracket because it was reported that once again there were no perfect predictions of all the tournament games. Now, it's not really surprising. They say that the odds of someone randomly selecting all the games correctly, that those odds are 1 in 9.2 quintillion. But if you know about basketball and the tournament, you've really studied things, they say that increases your odds. Then your odds of having a perfect bracket would be 1 in 120.2 billion. But you want to know what the craziest thing is? Despite those odds, a lot of us are going to be right back at it again next year, just trying our very best to accurately predict all 63 games of the tournament. Because there's something about trying to predict outcomes or future events that's fascinating to us. Although the truth is we, uh, we often miss the mark, don't we? In fact, here are a few other predictions from the past that really turned out to be wrong. In 1999, an article was written predicting that Jeff Bezos' company Amazon wasn't going to last. It was just a middleman destined to fail. Today, Amazon's valued over $1.5 trillion. But when was the last time we all bought something from Amazon? In 1903, one bank president cautioned someone against investing in Henry Ford's automobile business. That president said, the horse is here to stay. The automobile, that's just uh, its a novelty. It's a fad. So by show of hands, how many people came by horseback today? Somebody rose their hand in the first service, so I figured <laughs> I should still ask. In 1946, a movie producer said that TV would never catch on. Television? Now, he said, people will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. I watched TV last night, too. The founder of an electronics manufacturing company said this in 1995. He said, I predict that the Internet will soon go spectacularly supernova. And in 1996, it will catastrophically collapse. You want to know where I read that quote? <laughs> On the internet. <laughs> and in 1950, a newspaper article author predicted that all women would be six feet tall and wear size 11 shoes by the year 2000 because of advancements in vitamins and supplements. But you know, whether it's small predictions or big, bold predictions, we often miss the mark as people. And it's because we all know the future. But the reality is there's only one who knows the future, and that is God himself. And as we enter into the most special time of year, looking forward to the celebration of Jesus' resurrection next week, we're going to take a look this morning at how, unlike all of us, God does know exactly what will happen in the future. Because God knows all things. And church, if God knows all things, including future things, then that means we can trust every word from him. We're going to see that as we turn together to Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Luke chapter 19. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 853. 
page 853, Luke chapter 19. If you've been with us for a little while now, probably already gathered that we will be pausing our series in Joshua for a couple weeks, beginning this Palm Sunday morning, to take a look at what Jesus did for us. And 2,000 years ago, on this day we are looking at, we are given a great reminder of the fact that our Lord and Savior, our great God, is always true to his word. So as we enter into Luke chapter 19, we are picking up here at the end of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus had spent several years traveling around Israel and teaching the people the truths of God and salvation, performed miracles, healed the sick, taught his disciples. He even raised the dead to life. In fact, shortly before this time that we will be looking at, Jesus had raised a, a dead man to life, a man named Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. The things that Jesus said and had done, there were others who were not so moved by him. And the majority of the Jewish religious leaders, they couldn't stand Jesus. He wasn't the Messiah that they were looking for. He didn't adhere to their man-made traditions. So they were just hoping they'd have the opportunity to destroy him. And soon they would, but not on this day. Let's look together. Luke chapter 19, verse 28, it says this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Well, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Let's just stop right here for just a minute. they're going to find an unridden colt they needed to bring back. And when they arrive, they find things just as Jesus said they would be. Now, I know many of us are familiar with this story. And I think so often we're so excited to read about Jesus' triumphal entry that we kind of breeze right on past some of these details. So let's not overlook the fact that what we were just given a great example of is the omniscience of Jesus, which means that Jesus knows all things. Uh, the disciples, surely they were at least beginning to recognize this truth. Uh, this wasn't the first or the last time that Jesus had demonstrated to them his perfect knowledge. In fact, he, he proved to Nathaniel that he knew Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree, even though Jesus didn't see him. And that caused Nathaniel to declare Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus knew the history of the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus demonstrated more than once that he knew the very thoughts of those around him. He knew when Lazarus had died, although he was not with him. Again, all these things show us that our Savior, he knows everything. And just as he knew where a, an unridden cult would be and how the disciples would need to respond, he also knew all the things that were going to take place on this day that we are reading about. So let me ask, if you were one of those two disciples that Jesus had sent ahead, would you have trusted what Jesus said? Would you have gone confident in his word? 
I remember watching the weather reports on TV during the winter, always hoping that they would say enough snow was coming for a snow day. And every once in a while, the weatherman would say it. Say four to six inches of snow tonight, was just enough for a snow day. And even though I had never met him on those nights, the weatherman became my best friend. Until the next morning, because I cannot tell you how many times that would happen. And I would rush to my window in the morning to look outside and realize that there was no snow. Which meant that there was no snow day. And many times I'd still done no homework the night before. <laughs> you see, sometimes the weatherman, he let me down. But as I've grown older, I've found that Jesus has, has never let me down. And unlike a weatherman or any of us when we make predictions, Jesus knows all the things that are going to take place for you and me today. And that's right around the corner for you. He knows that sorrow, that depression. He knows that temptation that's going to rear its ugly head. He knows the blessings and encouragement that you're going to step into. Unlike the weatherman on Channel 4, Jesus knows all things, which means that we can trust in his words and rely on him for everything that we are going to face today, believers. It means that like those two disciples in Luke chapter 19, we should willingly follow his every lead. And if Jesus knows everything, shouldn't we seek his wisdom and guidance in everything, including what we're facing today? By the way, I understand that we actually recently saw a very similar truth in the book of Joshua that we're seeing and being reminded of here in Luke. The question for us, church, is are we applying this knowledge to our lives? But, you know, there's more we're going to see this Palm Sunday about the omniscience of Jesus. So let's keep going. Look verse 35. It says, They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This would have been a great thing to see and hear. Jesus rode down the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people start praising him. The Gospel of John tells us that people also brought palm branches out. That's where we get Palm Sunday from. They sang out his praises. They were declaring him to be the long-awaited king and messiah. And while that was true, they still didn't understand why Jesus came. They wanted a political savior. They wanted someone to come and overthrow Rome to conquer their enemies. They wanted a conquering king. And you know what? Jesus did come to conquer, but he didn't come to conquer their physical enemy. No, he came to conquer sin and death through his crucifixion and resurrection. He didn't come to set us free from men, but to set us free from sin and hell. We're going to see a whole lot more of that on Good Friday, and I hope you can be here for that. But for now, on this day, the people shouted his praises. And the Gospels of Matthew and John tell us the significance of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that day. That it fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See? Your king comes to you, 
righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Odin to Jerusalem. And knowing all things, he had his eyes set on the cross where he would make a way for us to receive the forgiveness of our sin and the salvation of our soul by paying the penalty for us. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. But as he made his way that day, Jesus fulfilled yet another prophecy. Now I say another because this wasn't the only prophecy that Jesus had fulfilled during his time on earth. Back to your few others. It was prophesied long before Jesus came to this earth that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He would be born of a virgin. The tribe of Judah, the Galilee, just to name a few of the prophecies Jesus had already fulfilled. Now here is another one. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, as foretold hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Zechariah. So why does this matter? Why does the fulfillment of biblical prophecy matter for us to see it? Well, one reason is because it shows that God is true to his word, church. What God has said in the past will always come to pass. That means today we can rely on all the promises that he has spoken long ago in his word because he is true to his word. And that day, as Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, it was a reminder that God, God's always going to do the things that he said he would. He's always going to do what he said he would. But that's only going to strengthen and encourage our faith if we know the things that God has said in his word. So do we meditate on God's word? Do we read it throughout the week? Do we study it? Another reason the fulfillment of biblical prophecy matters is because it continues to reveal the omniscience of God, who knows all things about the past, the present, and the future. In fact, we're going to get another example of that from that Palm Sunday. Look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The religious leaders, they just couldn't stand what they were seeing and hearing. To them, it was just a bunch of blasphemous noise. But truthfully, they weren't the only ones there that day that didn't truly believe in Jesus. And many of those praising him would fall away in the coming days when they realized he wasn't the king that they were looking for. And because they didn't embrace him at his first coming, Jesus wept over their hard hearts. Instead of coming to him in faith, they rejected him. And those hard-hearted Israelites would soon put the Son of God to death on a cross. 
and their judgment as a nation for these things was coming soon. Jesus looked to that future day that wasn't far off, and he foretold torn down, destroyed, and many Jews would be killed. And the things that Jesus said were fulfilled just a few decades later in the year 70 A.D. You see, the Jews rebelled against Rome. So the Romans sent their forces in. The Israelites took refuge inside the city of Jerusalem. And the Romans encircled it, besieged the city. Didn't take long for the supplies to run out for the Israelites. And soon starvation set in. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus described what that was like. And he said that husbands, wives, their own children would steal food from one another because of their starvation. And eventually, the Romans broke through. And they set the city on fire. They completely destroyed it. They destroyed the temple, tore it down stone by stone. Countless Jews were killed, and many others were sold into slavery. Once again, the very words of the Savior came to pass, and they always will come to pass. Because Jesus doesn't just know all things about today. He knows all things about tomorrow, too. A past, present, and future, his knowledge is perfect. Sadly, the Israelites refused to believe that. After all, they ignored Jesus when he tried to warn them about their eternal fate if they rejected him. And one of the reasons they ignored Jesus is because they didn't believe that he knows all things. But the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 on that day, the fulfillment of Jesus' words about Jerusalem decades later are a reminder that our great God knows not only about our current circumstances, but he also knows what's going to happen in the future, believer. In fact, here are some other times Jesus showed his perfect knowledge of the future. I'll just give you a few. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be betrayed by one of their own number. As many of us know, Judas Iscariot did betray him. Jesus made it clear to them that he was going to die by crucifixion during Passover in Jerusalem at the hands of the religious leaders. He told his disciples that when he was arrested, they were going to abandon him, and they did. He foretold Peter's denial of him, and he told them many times that when he died, he would be in the grave for three days and then rise from the dead. And you know what? All these things came to pass not long after that Palm Sunday. Just like everything Jesus has said, all these things came to pass. Believers, we can with today. Church, Palm Sunday is a day to praise the Lord because unlike the crowds that day, we do know why Jesus rode into Jerusalem. We do know that he is victorious. He's victorious over the cross and the grave and sin and death, so we can rejoice. And on that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, we also see these clear examples of his omniscience. He knows all things. And because of that, we, we should trust him in our present situations, and we can trust him with the future that looks so uncertain. Not only that, but we saw prophecy fulfilled. And these things should give us confidence to trust that every word God has spoken will come to pass because God is always, always true to his word. So what that means is we can take heart knowing that the rest of Scripture's prophecies are going to come to pass. Church, Jesus will return for his people before that dreadful time of judgment and tribulation on this earth. 
At his second coming, he will judge the wicked nations as he sets up his earthly kingdom. At the end of all things, the wicked will stand before the Lord in judgment and believers for reward. The fulfillment of God's word and prophecy should give us great confidence in him and great confidence in his promises to us. Because not only will prophecy be fulfilled, but every promise towards his people. So believer, when God's word says that he will never lose you, that no one and nothing can snatch you out of his hand, you can trust he won't lose his good grip on you. When Jesus said that he is in heaven preparing a place for his people, that means we can look forward to our eternal home. The truth this morning, church, is that because Jesus knows all things, we can trust his word in all things. We can trust that his promises to us will stand. We can trust that his plans will be accomplished. Because you know what? His plans were accomplished that Palm Sunday. Just like they were going to be accomplished on Good Friday and on Easter. I hope you can be here with us next week as we look at all these things. But church, as we get ready to close and have our final time of invitation, I would encourage everyone here who is a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe there is something that you have been struggling to trust Jesus with, something you're facing today, or you've been struggling to trust him with the future because it seems so uncertain to you. But if that's true, I would encourage you during this final song to go to the Lord in prayer. You can pray to him where you sit or stand. You can come to the altar. I think sometimes as Christians, we simply need to go to the Lord and tell him, Lord, I believe, but I need you to help me in my unbelief. I need you to increase my faith, to help me trust you, to overcome these doubts. But maybe you're here and Jesus, you've never given your life to him. And if that's true for you, I want you to understand that Jesus does know all things, including the eternity that you are facing. You see, Jesus made it very clear when he was on this earth that there are two eternities and we'll each face one. One eternity will be separated forever from him in a place of torment called hell. And the other is that we will be in his presence forever in a place of paradise. We'll be in heaven with the Lord. And being with the Lord forever after this life isn't dependent on good things of our life. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father but by me. You see, Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And then he powerfully rose from the dead. And the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Understand that Jesus, Jesus is waiting right now to forgive you of all your sins to save you from the penalty of hell, and to give you eternal life. The question is, will you give your life to him? And you know what? On Good Friday, we're going to talk about all the things that Jesus went through for me and you, that you don't have to wait until Good Friday to give your life to him. You don't have to wait until Good Friday to receive that forgiveness and that salvation. You can do that right now. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's you, if you know Jesus is not your Savior, you know that you haven't received that forgiveness, that eternal life, I want you to understand that during our final invitation song, you can come up and talk to me. You can pray with me. You can ask whatever questions you might have. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. No matter what you've gone through in life, no matter what's happening for you today, 
Jesus has been waiting to forgive you and save you your whole life. So you can go to Jesus Christ in prayer and admit to him that you know you're a sinner, but that you know he died on the cross for you. Do you believe he didn't stay in the grave but rose from the dead? And you can give him your life. And I promise you on the authority of God's word, which will always come to pass, that if you go to him in faith, he will save your soul. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who hasn't made that decision, that today, today, they would choose to do that. That they would give their life to Jesus Christ. So as questions, that they'd be willing to come and talk to me, that they'd talk to any of the believers in this room who would love to share more about Jesus with them. But Father, for those of us who have given our lives to you, I pray that you would help us to trust you with our lives, with each and every day. Because there are no problems and difficulties we face that you didn't foresee long ago. And you promise us the strength to go through these things, the wisdom we need to navigate through them. So help us to be faithful to go to you and all the things we face. Father, increase our faith. Teach us to trust you more. Show us how to overcome the doubts that enter into our hearts and minds. Teach us to trust your promises. And I pray that as we do read your word, as we meditate on it day and night, as we draw near to you, that we would see just how much you are drawing near to us. Father, we love you. But we know you love us more. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.